Welcome to the Agent of Influence podcast with Nabil Hanan. I'm your host, Nabil Hanan, Managing Director at NetSpy. This is a podcast sponsored by NetSpy as a place to share best practices and trends in the world of cybersecurity and vulnerability management. Portions of this interview will appear in print on the NetSpy executive blog. To find out more, go to www.netspy.com slash agent of influence. This is an episode in a series of interviews with industry leaders and security gurus, and it's a pleasure to have with me today my very good friend and newly appointed NetSpy CTO, Travis Hoyt. Hi, Travis. Hey, Nabil. How are you doing this morning? I'm well. I hope you're doing well, too. I am. Thank you. Travis recently joined NetSpy as Chief Technology Officer, and we're lucky to have him. Previously, he was the head of cybersecurity technology at TIAA based in Charlotte, North Carolina. Travis joined TIAA in 2019 after almost 19 years with Bank of America's cybersecurity operations as a global control owner for application security assessments. Over the last few years, Travis has focused on security technology portfolio management and delivery, emerging technology, and services evaluation including hybrid cloud and containerization. Travis holds several certifications relating to security and cloud and has a passion for discussing loosely coupled architectures and serverless debates. So Travis, why don't you tell us about your new role at NetSpy and what you're most excited about? Uh, Thank you, Nabil. I think what I'm most excited about is being able to work with such a high caliber team, one that I've been working with for a number of years, but certainly in a different capacity and a team that is intently focused on supporting what it takes to effectively deliver cybersecurity services, specifically penetration testing services to clients to help them manage their vulnerability ecosystem, and the passion for continuing to look forward with respect to innovation and what's next and what's next next that to me is is very exciting. And so I think with this role, I'll really be able to support sort of both lenses of that. How can we, through tech-enabled services, deliver that level of effective penetration testing services to the client? And how do we create the ecosystem for the client that allows them to easily digest what we've come to understand, their ecosystem, our view of their ecosystem, and how best they can manage their vulnerability portfolio. So as CTO, what are some of your first, you know, couple of priorities and areas of focus? Yeah, so looking at the client-facing portfolio is certainly part of that, but, you know, I have to support the ecosystem as a whole, right? So it's it's not only what we present to the client, but as an internal organization, we have our own ecosystem. We need to ensure that we're walking the walk and that we're taking advantage of the capabilities that we have, that we're keeping an eye on the market where the market is going, and that we're specifically keeping an eye on where the market is going 
in relation to how that will impact our clients, right? So when you look at things like SaaS posture management, it's an area that I'm very interested in, keeping an eye on that, making sure that we're doing what we need to do, but also making sure that we understand how that has the potential to impact our clients and the needs that they'll have as regulators and cyber insurers start to continue to focus on that type of capability. So you've spent a fairly large part of your career managing an assessment team or a pen testing team, and you've kind of seen the evolution of what it takes to run a team that is delivering penetration tests over time. I'm curious what your thoughts are, or how would you forecast the future of the pen testing industry, especially over the next couple of years, let's say two to three years? Yeah, I think the key thing is that the demand for these types of services is going to increase. And certainly we're seeing that at a substantial rate as clients really start to understand that they need to do this kind of assessment activity that is not a checkbox activity. That's not going to get you very far anymore. And that certainly when the cyber insurers come asking about your programs, they're digging deeper, right? They really want to understand that you're doing more than the checkbox. And so I I think what that's going to lead to is a demand for the types of resources that do this type of testing, which you and I both know have been a challenge, not just now, but for the better part of a decade or more in trying to attract and retain that kind of talent. And so I think what that will ultimately lead to is a need to find great partners like NetSpy that can offer continuous testing services through programs like pen testing as a service. And it will also require that we continue to evaluate how we deliver those services so that we can be efficient, not only in our capabilities with respect to supporting the services team and how they affect the assessment, but also in how we deliver in the results of those services to the client in a meaningful way, in a user-friendly way, in a business-focused way. And that's really where the tech-enabled capabilities come into play, right? Not just on the services side, but in the client focus. Now, one thing that I've talked to a lot of individuals about as of late is the fact that using penetration testing as a way to discover vulnerabilities is actually too expensive because the cost of remediation, if you're finding something during a pen test, is much higher than finding those vulnerabilities, let's say, earlier in the SDLC. Now, I understand that organizations that are maybe getting started with security, or application security in particular, maybe they are doing pen testing as a way of discovery. But in the long term, I personally think pen testing should really be more of a litmus test to see how effective other parts of your secure SDLC are. And the hope is that you're not going to discover something that's going to really throw you off or something that you didn't know about earlier in the SDLC. What are your thoughts on that piece? And are there certain approaches you've seen work well versus others from that type of an approach? Well, I think SDLC maturity is certainly a fundamental part of any program. 
I think that when you look at organizations, especially larger organizations, and the sometimes fractured or federated nature of how they operate, you can run into that issue, right? Which is why you see the rise of pen testing as a service or attack surface management. Those both lend themselves to being a backstop, right? When you think about the challenges with asset management and change control, those are fundamentally backstops to programs that don't effectively understand their own ecosystem. And it's valuable, right? It's a valuable aspect. It's a valuable view, especially when you're growing, especially when you have M&A activity and you pick up something that you you maybe didn't understand before completely, and you can start to really understand what that ecosystem is and be able to manage that risk effectively. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about this whole concept of a virtual CISO versus the role of the CISO. Are there certain trends or patterns you're seeing over the years that you think will be more prominent for those roles? I think it goes back to the earlier point of resourcing, right? There are a lot of, first of all, there there are not a lot of CISOs out there, right? I mean, for all the CISOs that are out there, there are a lot more companies that don't have them. More to the point, there are a lot of companies that can't necessarily afford them, perhaps don't even need a full-time CISO. That's just not their business model. They don't have that level of regulatory influence or pressure, but they do need to still manage risk. So this VCSO ecosystem gives you this, you know, this fractional capability where you can bring in, you know, high caliber cybersecurity talent with lots of industry experience that can give you and your executive team, as well as your IT teams, a view of what they should be focusing their time on. So I think that there'll be a notable increase in this space simply because there'll be a demand, again, not enough CISOs out there and not enough people that need a full-time CISO in every respect. And so it fills a need. And I know folks that are operating in this space now and doing so very well and providing a great deal of value to the clients that they serve. And so, yeah, I see this growing. Are there certain things that these people who maybe are interested in in getting into the virtual CISO role that you think is important for them to keep in mind or, or focus on? I think the key is you have to understand the business of the client. And I think that that's, honestly, that's not just true of a VC. So that's true of a CISO or anyone that is in the cybersecurity organization, right? You really do need to understand the business that you're operating in or the business of the client that you're serving. If you don't understand what they do, what they're trying to achieve, how they make money or whatever their goals are, then you're not going to be positioned to provide them the best lens of expertise that you can. So it really is about changing your mindset from cyber, cyber, cyber to what is this company? What do they do? What are their goals? How can I enable those? And how can I help them manage risk while doing so? Yeah, you actually tied this back to a different episode where I was speaking with the Roshan Popal, where he mentioned that one of his mentors told him when he was starting the role of CISO that he needs to first understand how the business makes money and then determine how he's going to align his priorities and his focus on different security initiatives and so on. So that kind of echoes the same message that you had here. The question I would have for you, kind of tying this back to the pen testing side, 
is you and I have kind of spoken about this in the past around how do we move from things like breaking the application or breaking a system to breaking the business? You know, how do we find more impactful findings and vulnerabilities that is focused on, you know, really disrupting the business versus trying to focus on, hey, do I have SQL injection? Do I have command injection, cross-site scripting, and so on? So how would you characterize that on, you know, what are your thoughts and, and approaches to that? Yeah. So I think when you think about the types of testing, so you have a, you know, a web application penetration test, oftentimes you focus on that particular application and the associated assets. Oftentimes, not all the times, but oftentimes with red teaming, it's how quickly can you execute the kill chain, right? It, looking at the entire ecosystem, finding every issue isn't necessarily the goal. It's how quickly can we get to the crown jewels and, and, and then you're done. You know, we've proven the case. Here's how we did it. And both of those views are valuable. But I think when you start to look at, you know, here's a given business unit, here's what they do. This business unit may have multiple applications, you know, lots of different assets that operate while in their own given silo for a particular function also operate as a cohesive ecosystem and delivering that business value for that business unit, right? And lots of integration between them. So as you know, historically uh, with, with some of the apps that I've managed in the past that were very large, very complex, it became important to test all of those at the same time right? To be able to find the dust between the cracks, as I used to call it, right? When when you have integrations that hand off from one application to another, where typically you might say, okay, well, I've sort of exceeded the bounds of this particular assessment now that this thing is handing off and didn't find anything particularly wrong with that handoff. And so I have to stop because that's out of scope. It's not out of scope for a threat actor. And so I think that we have to be mindful of these ecosystems and how they interact. And, you know, when, when you look at the overall risk associated with that environment, where are the opportunities there to look at that holistically? Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Let's shift gears a little bit to something I know you and I are both passionate about, which is education, especially in the security space. What recommendations would you have to improving the industry's approach today to security education? For me, this is a big topic. I think that there are a couple of lenses that I have on this that we can explore. One is when you look at typical university curriculums, I think the challenge today, and while they are improving you know, dramatically, I mean, only a handful or so years ago, there were not formal cybersecurity degrees. Now you're seeing a lot of universities offer them, and that's fantastic, right? We've got great partnerships with universities as feeder programs to Nets by You. And other of our clients have similar associations and programs and partnerships with universities to try to cultivate this talent similarly, which is great. I think where we really need to see some advances is in making sure that what students are learning in their university programs is what the industry will need when they come out of those programs. 
right? Teaching what the industry needs, teaching the students, I should say, what the industry needs when they go into the program means you're sort of skating to where the puck is, not skating to where the puck's going to be, using a hockey metaphor, right? And I really think that needs to be a focus. And, you know, there's some, obviously some areas around next-gen technology that we've talked about that I'm passionate about that kind of speaks to that as well. But also, you know, when you're looking at, say, outside of the cybersecurity space in general, but just in core computer science and, and IT courses where software development is being delivered as part of the curriculum. I think we have to really start measuring the quality and effectiveness of those courses based on the level of security acumen they impart when delivering those courses to their learners, right? We've seen God knows how many books over the years where database query language is just a straight up SQL injection. And it's like, stop, like enough is enough. You know, that problem has been solved for those best practices have been spoken to for the better part of a decade. If you're doing that, you're doing a disservice to the learner and you're doing a disservice to the industry. So that really needs to change, in my opinion, That's something I'm pretty passionate about. If a program is not teaching students to develop in a secure way, then they're not delivering on the value proposition that they're supposed to be delivering on and that they say they offer their students. I think the other area that I'm interested in, and this is a bigger topic, is how do we start to think about cybersecurity education that isn't necessarily through a university learning path? I think that there are a lot of opportunities there. I think our universities do a great job in delivering the curriculums that they deliver, but I think that there are a lot of opportunities out there that maybe aren't the best fit for a university curriculum. But there's a ton of demand for these entry-level skill sets that could be met in alternative training delivery programs that could also be provided to underserved communities can help people that maybe don't have an opportunity to go to university because they can't afford it. They can't afford to not work. And so even if they have the capability, they just don't have the capacity. And so I think that there are areas there where, you know, as an industry and as a society, we really need to think about how we can empower people to better their own position through these kinds of training programs and improve their quality of life. And in doing so, also also provide a great service in an area that has tremendous demand. In both these forms of education, I'm wondering at what point do you think we will realize that cybersecurity needs to be taught in a similar fashion as other engineering practices or architecture practices and focus some parts of the curriculum to truly train everybody on failures from the past? So as an example, you brought up the fact that, you know, SQL injection shows up regularly in coding examples and in various textbooks. Well, how do we get from there to a point where we make sure that everyone who's graduating from these programs, they've had the time dedicated to focusing on learning about how attacks worked in the past, why they worked in a certain way, why did the software system fail or break and things of that nature? When do you think we'll get to that stage where people realize that this is also another form of engineering, not just, you know, computer science or something where you just write software, right? Geeky code stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
No, I, I think you I think you make a fantastic point. And I really think that there needs to be a concerted effort on the part of the industry to influence higher education in changing this, because just as you wouldn't teach structural engineering in a way that you put a bunch of toothpicks together that doesn't make sense, but yeah, it looks like a great bridge, but it's not structurally sound. You're not going to teach structural engineering that way. You're going to teach it in a way where you understand what load bearing, you know, functions are. And I'm no structural engineer, so I'm not even going to try and pretend, but you know, you build bridges securely, right? So I think it's really the same thing when you think about, on one hand, we're talking about physical infrastructure, right? And there's a lot of effort that goes into understanding how to build that physical infrastructure in a sustainable way. When you look at the cybersecurity space, you realize that our lives are dependent on this technology infrastructure now, increasingly so as we look at you know digital currencies and things like that, not just in the cryptocurrency space, but in things like CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, right? These are going to become fundamental constructs of our day-to-day lives. And we spend a great deal of our time and our effort in applications and services that are being delivered by technology, right? And that needs to be given the same sort of thought for robust development as you would anything else. Yeah, no, agreed. Now you've you've hinted and, and used the word nets by you uh, a couple of times. Do you want to share with the audience what Nets by You really is? Uh, we haven't really talked about that in the podcast series yet, so it may be a good place for you to tell us uh, what we do in that space. Yeah, so Nets by You is a hands-on keyboard education program that's designed to train up penetration testers. We bring in a crew of bright young minds and we put them through a a rigorous yet fun and exciting program that by the end of it, you know, they go through their assessment efforts and judge their capabilities, but they, they learn how to provide these types of services and cultivate that skill, be able to expand their knowledge coming out of university and pick up this very practical skill set and then be able to, obviously assuming successful in doing the coursework and everything, be able to deliver those services. And, you know, NetsbyU offers not only compensation during the program, but there are opportunities to join NetsBy at the conclusion of the program for those that have been successful. And, you know, I'll add to that, you know, we have a very decent group of people that have gone through that Nets by You curriculum over the years and are doing really great work, you know, with the focus we've had on quality and making sure that everyone does learn how to really be effective in their roles and, and whatever type of testing they're doing. It's been a program that's been working really well, and we're lucky to have the program. And the amount of effort that goes behind that is pretty high and tremendous. So I'm so glad that we make that investment in our teams to make everybody successful. Yeah, it's it, it's a tremendous investment, and I think it's a standout aspect of what NetSpy as a company delivers, right, in being able to cultivate that talent. Absolutely. 
So Travis, you mentioned earlier in the beginning about your role is to figure out what's next. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what's next and what are you excited from the technology standpoint in cybersecurity today? Yeah, I mean, there's so much that it's hard to focus on any one particular thing. You know, I've mentioned SaaS posture management. I think that that's an area that posture management in general has obviously been here, is continuing to grow, especially when you think about infrastructure as a service. But the SaaS posture management and being able to effectively manage your particular tenant of a given SaaS platform, increasingly important. There's always an expectation with a shared responsibilities model that you're managing that. I think that that is going to grow in an exceptional way. Beyond that, I think that there are new types of architecture that we'll see specifically blockchain-based architecture. I think a lot of people talk about that and they immediately think Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, this, that, and the other. And, and while that certainly is a big part of the story and a big part of the ecosystem, I think when you look at the interest in the commercial space in this type of architecture and the ability to deploy that internally as part of process efficiency, you know, a, a re-envisioning of how they manage their infrastructure internally to guard against error through the, you know, and, and, and we've seen examples of this and we see that this area is, is growing. So it's certainly an area that I'm, um, you know, that along with anything serverless, which is always a hilarious statement because people get very passionate about, well, it still runs on a server. Well, I don't care. It runs very fast and it does what I need it to do and I don't have to pay for it all the time. So that's a good thing. So these are areas that personally I'm very interested in. I think there's a lot to keep an eye on here and it's something that I'm mindful of. Awesome. Well, Travis, this was fantastic. Excited to have you on board and want to thank you for your time to join us on this episode and looking forward to seeing you in person really soon. I think as early as next week, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. And thank you so much, Nabil. Great to be here and great to be chatting with you this morning. Awesome. Thank you. This has been an Agent of Influence podcast with Nabil Hanan. Portions of this interview can be found in print on the NetSpy Executive blog. And please subscribe for future episodes of Agent of Influence at www.netspy.com slash agent of influence.